Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Hey dreamers. I know Nat is a little jealous that I get to speak to today's guest because she loves engaging with him. And I told him that before I pressed record. Whenever she comes home from a meeting with him, she is uplifted and full of ideas for the future. True story. And I really believe that's a testament to who this man is. He opens people's eyes to possibility. What a gift. So the conversation continues today with a creative mind who seems to be able to pick winners and then invest in them. I get the notion that he may have some superpowers, and I can't wait to find out if there's a strategy behind it and whether he'll share it with us or not. So he's been working in marketing strategy and implementation for the past 15 years. And this man seems to marry client and agency in a functional environment where he now leads a team of more than 50 staff. And if it's not 50 staff, that's Nat's fault because that's what she told me. So 2018 (laughs) was a big year for this maestro as he was a finalist in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Awards in Australia. He claimed the Transport and Logistics Business of the Year at the Optus my business awards and Nat and I are so grateful that you're spending some time in our community of dreamers. We have really been delving into these laws of manifestation and our three-step process that involves cultivating our inner dreamer again, then creating a whole new life story, which then asks us to act as if we're already living that story. And then we map out the plan for that dream and then adhere it all together with focus. And now here we are, cannonballing straight into entrepreneurialism, a word that I hope I don't have to say too many times. It was important that our community not get stuck in their heads, but continue energizing their ideas, visions, dreams to create something tangible into the world. So no pressure, Mark. You are here to kick their creativity into gear so they begin to see that business is an awesome vehicle to live their dream life. So Mark. How did your journey begin as an entrepreneur? Wow. Um, 
Thank you, firstly, for an amazing intro. Hopefully, I can live up to that over the oh, course no of No pressure, brother. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think it was a conscious starting point. It was just a realisation um, within myself uh, a long time ago. Um, I knew I wanted to make a mark on the world and how that manifested um, when I was in high school and then through university was really different. So I thought initially I wanted to be a lawyer, forgive me. <laughs> and even more devastating after that at university, I thought I wanted to be a politician. <laughs> and, um, and, and then I realised that um, neither were particularly good ways to really achieve what I wanted. Um, I felt that both realms, the, the former was uh, within the constraints of the canon of law and politics was within the constraints of prevailing winds at the time. So you don't really get to exercise the principles of who you are as a person in either context. Um, and honestly, my 22, 23-year-old brain wasn't articulating it like this, but um, with a lot of hindsight, that's, that's how I've, I've come to realise it. So um, I started in um, a sales role, and sales is an incredible skill set. Um, regardless of if you're in business or not, because sales is not only about um, the articulation of an idea or a service or a product, um, it's also an ability to interrelate with people, um, remove your fear of rejection, mm. um, and, uh, and also to just work the numbers around something. And I've got a bit of a, a model that I use for a new salespeople in our group or people who enter sort of our space and that's uh, I often say 100 meetings sorry 100 phone calls five meetings one sale and it's simply about rinsing and repeating so um, look I started in sales in um, and you'll laugh Sarah I started in sales at JB Hi-Fi in Brisbane and I was oh, selling yeah. past stereo systems um, and I realized I loved that more than what I was doing at university um, and post-university, I ended up staying there an extra year and it felt like a stupid decision at the time, but uh, it's only now later in life as I am rapidly approaching 40 do I realise how important that formative experience was on a retail floor of a car stereo sales business in Brisbane. Um, and I, I'll dig into that a little bit more later. Um, but after that, I went and thought I'd get a bit more serious and I'll knuckle down and I'll get a grad role. Um, as you know, you're expected to do as a, a graduate of a business course. Um, and I always found myself wanting to improve the status quo. And how that manifested was I would often find myself being the last person to leave the office, which is really weird for a 22 or 23-year-old, mm -hmm. particularly a 22 or a 23-year-old at a fairly traditional business in a bit of a backwater town in Brisbane versus global cities like New York and London and so on. Um, anyway, I recall staying late one night and the CFO coming and uh, seeing me, and it would often be just me and him, this new graduate and this career CFO, and um, we built up a bit of a relationship and he often observed to me that, you know, you keep doing this and you'll go far. And I didn't really know what that meant. And uh, go far up the organisation chain move quickly through a set organized, organizational structure a little quicker. 
Um, but I began to realize as my 20s progressed and my 30s started that um, going far was only limited by what you could imagine. And an organization is a fantastic vehicle for you to be exposed to things and, and, and travel the world and meet people and, and challenge yourself. But sometimes you outgrow an organization or you're moving at a pace that an organization's typical um, promotion of a person or a young person coming through the ranks can't keep up with. Mm. And that was my point where I knew, Sarah, um, when, and it was funny, I actually was working uh, for Coca-Cola, one of the biggest brands in the world, and I still have an enormous amount of thanks that I got to learn my marketing skill set from a business with such enormous pedigree. They wrote the rule book. But I felt myself outpacing the very business that was employing me at the time. And I made a decision to go into small business in my late 20s um, because I felt that that would be a better vehicle for me. And when I was in small business, then I realized that I was only truly limited by my own merit, um, my own effort, uh, and a little bit of luck as well. So uh, I'd have to say that my late 20s was when I realized that I was an entrepreneur. And may I say for the record, I really, I really hate that word. Um, and <laughs> I really do because it's taken on a life of its own in it's 2018, 19. For me, and I've said this to a few people and I've had no one disagree with me yet, entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism, and I've done it too. You, it's you hard. It's it. not an easy word. I'm so glad you're going to define it for you, what it's it means. Because, it, because it's French. Uh, but um, entrepreneurialism is something that should be bestowed on you by other people. And I feel the same way about leadership. If you self-proclaim it, you devalue it. So if you say I'm a leader, then you devalue the whole concept of leadership because leadership should be an observation that's bestowed by others in the context of you being meritous and someone worth following. And entrepreneurship, I feel, is something uh, in a similar context where you go, that person has entrepreneurial qualities. Um, and we can talk about what I think those are in this interview, if you like. Um, but I think if you self-proclaim that you're an entrepreneur, yeah. you devalue the very concept of entrepreneurship as well. And it, it's really one of those things that needs to be bestowed through observation of your peers. Yeah. And, um, and it really means something when you're nominated as an entrepreneur by people that you respect. So we may fine tune the definition through this question because you were talking about outpacing your current mm. employment. Yeah. What does that mean to you? So you're, you're in an environment, I'm sure they're giving you, you know, goals or quotas or, or, you know, perhaps when you yeah. say outpace, are you talking creativity, like the things that you were thinking about that you wanted to implement? Or what did you, what do you mean, uh, Pace? Yeah, sure. So, look, the organisations have developed a really useful toolkit to remove risk. And okay. one of the riskiest things you can do is put a young person into a role where their decisions can affect the lives of fellow employees or, in the case of a publicly traded business, or a private business affect the profitability that shareholders would enjoy or the owner would enjoy. So if you're going up through a traditional organisation, um, they always play it safe with regards to 
your career. And let me use an, um, we were talking about Nat Cook earlier. Um, let me use an analogy. Uh, you would never get four people into a, a metal missile to go down and, uh, a sleeve made of ice at more than 100 kilometers an hour. If you progressed with safety, there has to be times where you can test yourself and an organization in a traditional context is not uh, an environment that it has a, a, an amount of risk appetite. So to come back to your question, was it that I was more creative or the like? The answer was no. The answer was I felt that, and I don't want this to sound arrogant, um, and I hope it doesn't, but I felt that a lot of the times that I was doing tasks that I had already mastered. And I know this is a mm -hmm. thing that's often um, millennials are tarred with, like, oh, you've done it once or twice, therefore you think you're a master of it. Um, but I felt that I had so much more to offer the business and I didn't have the platform where my voice could be heard by the people who had the power to make that happen or the influence to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt going outside of a traditional organisational structure would be the fastest way for me to realise who I was as a person, as a human, and realise the potential. And I have to note as well, Sarah, it's really important that organisations in my late 20s, which was 10 years ago, have adapted so much uh, in the last 10 years. And I suspect that if I was in the same role now, doing the same thing, I suspect I would progress at a faster rate that was to my satisfaction, mm -hmm. that didn't frustrate me because I felt my wings were clipped uh, as, I, as I did 10 years ago. So um, entrepreneurialism has started to permeate into traditional organisations as well. Yeah, I so I think it'd be a really different experience these days. So does one that answer point, Totally, to totally does. Yeah, and yeah. you've introduced some other ideas around risk. Because I feel that this is something that the entrepreneur takes on that is sometimes, um, so I want to take, you mentioned a couple of things. You said with your sales force, you have that um, kind of strategy that you run them through, you know, the hundred, mm. hundred calls. And so it's 105 and one. So there are five yep. meetings and yep. one conversion. Is that, that was not what one you One sale. One sale. One sale. Yeah. So. So is there, am I to get that you have a capacity for risk, meaning you're able to take that risk on and move forward? Yes, um, undoubtedly. And the important thing about risk, and, and um, you'll hear a very prolific and well-followed uh, internet personality, Gary V or Gary Vaynerchuk, yep. talk about this a lot. Um, what is risk? You need to define it first. Mm. And uh, for both you and I, um, we grew up in an, in the Anglosphere, sphere, right? So we're, we're white people. We have white values appointed to us. And um, that's the context that we grow up in, right? And um, if you grow up in different cultures, you have different, as a mean, as like the bell curve of people when they come up through life, um, you have different amounts of risk aversion. So for us, I'm a, I'm a white male, um, and traditionally we have been the people who have had the greatest amount of risk appetite because it would be okay for you to try and have a go as a white male. So I think that's important um, in terms of context if we're talking in 2019. 
um, around how do people assess their risk appetite, first of all. Um, and I think it's very, very different for a white female. And then I think it's very, very different, again, for people of colour as well. So um, how do they assess risk? And I don't have an answer to that because I don't have their lived experience. The only thing I do know is that I suspect it's really, really different. Um, and I think that we would have a lot more creativity and people with risk appetite if we can work out whatever the recipe is that um, allows people to take risk in the context of their upbringing. Um, so gonna, I, I, I want to insert something, sure. a, a sporting comparison there, because mm. over all the years that Nat and I played on the pro tour, the mm. one of the top teams in the world is Brazil from Brazil. Yeah. And when we first travel there, you really get exposed to a different context of life. I, I've never yeah. felt the fear the way I did around my safety. And yeah. when you talk to the players about it, it was just yeah. sort of the way it is. They live inside of, for example, they would say to me, Sarah, when you go shopping, you never leave your bags in the car. Like you just don't do that. You never even plan your yeah. trip that way. You know that if you're going to sh go shopping, you go straight home. You know that you don't wear your certain jewelry out on the street. You know where, you know, your bike, if you're driving to the courts, you know, they just gave us this context of things that I don't even think about. And I believe that it influenced the risks that they took on the court in sport, therefore their success rate in certain ways. So just wanted to insert that little thing that you were, like, as you were describing that, I thought, yeah, that is exactly yeah. Um, one of the divergence between, let's say, a Canadian player and a, a Brazilian player. That's a pretty rudimentary. No, and look, I think um, his, history is your friend on this front. Um, history shows that both men and women, particularly men and women of colour, have used sport as an elevator out of poverty. Mm. So if you look at boxing, right, you look at heavyweight boxing, it's dominated by poor black men who've worked their way through the ranks to make something of themselves in a sporting context. If you look at uh, the Kenya and their, their marathon runners, that is an incredible way out of poverty for them. So this is nothing new in the world where sport has been an incredible vehicle to bring people out of poverty and to change or to do a class transition from from you know, the lower class into the middle classes as well. Um, so sport's been a really interesting vehicle and there's a corollary with entrepreneurialism in that space because there's an element of risk. Because if you're chasing an athletic dream as a Brazilian soccer or netball or whatever player you are, a volleyball player, um, you know, you're not providing for your family. Um, your, your family needs to close ranks around you and everyone is sacrificing beyond just you yourself your whole family is sacrificing for you to chase a dream. And coming back to the earlier point I made, as a, as a white male, that's not something we particularly needed to worry about because we'd always be okay. And particularly in, in the West where we have, um, um, you know, societal infrastructure such as the welfare system that will catch you if you fall. Um, there's an analogy that I like to use and... Um, it's uh, if you're taking risks, and I forget who said it, it's not my original thought, but I remember it. Um, you're hanging off a tree branch and 
you think if you mess up or the tree branch breaks and your business goes bankrupt or you yourself burn out or any number of things happen that you're going to plummet to the ground and go splat and you'll just be a red, red puddle where there used to be a man or a woman. But the reality is, is that you're hanging onto that branch and if for whatever reason you fall, your feet only move an inch and then you're back on the ground. Mm. Um, and that's a really useful way of looking at risk when we make it bigger than it is in our minds. Um, and the opinion of our families and our peers, um, both in a friendship context and in an industry or organisational context, they have the power over us. And we always kick into risk aversion. And I think an entrepreneur, for whatever reason, is not prepared to listen to the opinions of others mm. or not or doesn't give them um, weight to their actions and their choices. So like two that. really different things here, two really different things here. So entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurialism in the first world context, and then, of course, you know, punching upwards through poverty with whatever vehicle is available to you are two really different things, uh, but they're two sides of what I think is the same coin. I'm so glad you, you joined that, those dots because when you were describing when you were first working at JB Wi-Fi and uh, Wi-Fi, JB, <laughs> that's funny. They should have been called JB Wi-Fi. That would have worked better. Hi-Fi. When you were working there and you realized you got exposed to rejection and then yeah. later you spoke about, you know, this idea of risk. I was hoping yeah. you'd marry those because I was thinking that the risk for a lot of people is what are people going to think of me? How is this yeah. going to um, affect my security and like comfort level? So if somebody is out there with a new idea in their heart, what would you say is the first steps to kind of starting to bring it to market or, or doing sure. something about it? And look, um, that's really, really easy. Um, and I'm not the first person, nor will I be the last to give this advice. But if you have a dream or an idea that you want to pursue, you have to put everyone's opinions, everyone's thoughts about you in the boot of the car and then just drive the damn car to where you want to go. Because um, as soon as you start listening to people who want to bring you down or want to bring you back to earth or remind you why things like, you know, family time's important or this or that, and don't get me wrong, it is, um, but... If people are unwilling to see you sacrifice something for your dream, then they're not the sort of people that you need around you whilst you're pursuing that dream. So I think that is probably the number one thing that holds most people back. And I want to make this point. Some people are wired better than others to deal with the opinions of other people and ignoring them. And it's a spectrum. And um, we have... Social anxiety on this end of the spectrum, and we have sociopaths on this end of the spectrum. And you laugh, but humanity is a bell curve. And I'm probably over here on the right of that bell curve where he, he's awful close to sociopath, sort of, just so you know. Yeah. You guys couldn't see where he was showing you true. on his bell curve. Just kidding. <laughs> on the right hand side. But um, <laughs> for the longest time, I've not really cared about the opinions of other people. Yeah. And I've come to define that as I've not cared about the opinions of other people that I don't have respect for. Yeah. 
Um, and some people are further right, they just don't care at all. But interestingly, Sarah, on the other side of that same coin, or the other end of that bell curve more accurately, you've got people with high social anxiety who achieve incredible things because they're terrified if they don't do something with their lives, what will their parents or their peers think about them as well? Okay. Um, but on both of these ends, these people achieve incredible things within an organisational context mm -hmm. and would be terrible as an entrepreneur. And interestingly, these people achieve incredible things under their own steam and without barriers, but if you put them in an organisational context, they're fired within a week. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing about humanity so and human motivation. You, thank you for that curve because I think it helps contextualise, firstly, where you may lie, but I always like curves because it allows me to see where you can go, meaning there, I, I believe you can move within those things. And, you know, Nat, I know why you and Nat are great mm. friends because the thing that I've often said is I loosely say she doesn't care what people think. And living with someone for 18 years like that has given me a freedom, has shown me what freedom there is in that. And so um, I'm glad you brought that up. I do believe it's intricately linked with entrepreneurship. And we interviewed a monk um, on our mm -hmm. section about focus. And one of the steps, like step four was sacrifice, mm. which is what you just brought up, you know, like the sacrifices yeah. that are, are embedded when you're actually going for something. So, I mean, yeah, you'll, you'd probably enjoy that actually. What, what he had to say, it was really um, thought provoking. He's amazing. Um, yeah, looking but, forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's great. He's, he's amazing. He's now a, a Hindu priest and he has a baby. So he's left the monastery. Um, but he's, it lives in New York city, really cool debunks, lots of myths. Love that about him. So one of the things that I know you do is you support a lot of startups. So to me, mm. I'm going to make an assumption here to me, a startup yep. is lots of risk, you know, so there's lots of yep. risk and then we're going to move hats here for a sec. So you've been, mm -hmm the guy starting out, but now you invest in those guys starting up. So if mm -hmm. I am a startup, what would I yep. have to do to attract your attention? Oh so, God. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to de-link the financial and the business structure side. Cause I don't think that's what you want to hear. I think for this conversation, you really want to hear what I'm looking for in the founder and um, so number one, I need to believe in the founder and I need to believe that the founder can take the same sort of journey that a pro athlete can, that a respected entrepreneur can, and that an engineer can to going through to being an astronaut for NASA. So they all require a hard road. They all require sacrifice. They all require incredible amounts of rejection and picking yourself up and dusting yourself off. And in an athletic context or an engineering context or a business context, they all manifest differently physically, but they all have the same toll on a person intellectually and emotionally. So number one, I need to believe in that founder. And there's a couple of things I look for. So number one is passion. Um, and passion is so incredibly important because that is your jet fuel. And if you've got a big tank filled with jet fuel, it can carry you anywhere. So I always look for passion with regards to what they're doing. 
Number two, um, I look for focus and coming back to the, uh, um, the, the, the previous uh, interview that you had to this one, focus is incredibly important um, because what that says to me is that you believe in yourself and you believe in it so much that you're willing to focus on it to um, the point of sacrifice of other things that most other humans find important such as earning a good wage, going out for dinner, having some beers after work, um, having a child or pursuing a marriage. Those sorts of things are things that you're willing to sacrifice on the altar of your ambition and vision. Um, And then thirdly, they have to be human. I have to be able to empathise with them. I need to be able to relate to them because they're going to see... Can I swear on your show? Yes. Nat does all the time. Good, good. (laughs) So they're going to see some shit, right? And I've seen some shit. And I know for a fact that you guys have seen some shit in your professional sporting careers as well. Um, And that could be injury. That could be a massive rejection from an investor. Or that could be, in the case of the astronaut that I used, um, you could have been breezed over for someone else who's less qualified because their dad happens to be a senator in uh, in parliament or the like so those sorts of things um uh you need the ability to connect with the person that you're investing in and help them through that and um, without getting too deep i believe that there's a, a master student paradigm and masters have responsibilities to students to help them through those things and students have responsibilities to masters to implement the learnings that the masters then give them which is a bit esoteric and we can talk about that another time. But um, they're the three things um, is, yeah, cool. is passion, um, uh, focus, and they need to be human. Yeah. I have to be able to relate to them. Awesome. That's really, that's great. I hope everybody heard um, how, yes, there's, like you said, the monetary, um, the financials and things like that, but you, you went mm-hmm. straight to the founder. You know, who's going to be there? We had another businessman talking about how he creates his, his story of his business over and over again. And he talked about how um, you're the one, the founder, you're going to be there at the beginning and the end. He's, his claim is everybody else is going to leave at some point. Every customer, every client at some point. So basically design this thing how you want it to be because you're going to be there for every step of the way. And I thought, yeah, it was really interesting because again, you're bringing up this idea of the founder and the critical element. Who's going to be there to sacrifice? Who's the human that's going to go through the shit. But it was nice of you to do three in a row. That was good. Get it all in. Um, But yeah, like who's going to be there? Um, Not left holding the bag because that sounds negative, but in a way that if that person is left having, holding the bag what are they going to do with it and so that um so what i realized in talking to you is that i had a hundred other things i wanted to ask you um however it took the course it was meant to take it always does um so in deciding what my last question is for you of the Mm. many because i would love to talk to you again if you're cool with that bring you back under another banner if you're happy put a new hat on you, dance you around again. Uh Um, I want to talk just for one second about the tech age because it seems like you're keeping pace, but actually you're staying ahead of the curve. So 
uh, you know, Nat used the word leading edge when she thinks about you. How yeah. do you do that? Like what, how do you stay ahead of what everybody else is doing? Yeah, that God, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, look, the short answer to that is that you don't. Um, and no one can. No one has enough hours in the day to be on the edge of every technology and see every opportunity as it comes. Um, the reality is, is that you, there's an old marketing adage, um, and I'll pull it out because it's one of my favourites. And um, you, often, you often hear it used in, um, you know, traditional cultures as well. But I always say to people in, when we're talking a marketing context, you've got two of these and one of these, and you need to use it in the same ratio. So if it's you're asked about... Two ears and one mouth, everybody. Two ears and one mouth, thank you. Um, so you need to do a lot of listening and you then need to work out um, who is worth listening to and then you need to work out who is worth listening to often because there is an unlimited number of opinions out there on things. Um, so for, I'm, I'm sorry, this is a quite a roundabout way of, 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 ask, of, of answering this question. I stay on top of the things that relate to the things that I'm already good at. Okay. So I'll give you an example. I'm not an athlete. I look after my body, I exercise and I eat well, but I'm never going to be an Olympian. All right. Um, so when it comes to things like sports technology and human performance and the like, I have no point of reference personally. But when it comes to um, how people buy things, um, how people choose to engage with a product or a service, that's technology that I'm interested in. Um, and because I've got a frame of reference, I keep a really active radar, and I'm pointing to my two ears again, yep. um, before I start using my mouth and telling people what's what. Mm. So um, I think that's probably the best way for me to answer that um, if I'm leading edge, it's within a really narrow vertical and I channel my energies about learning about new stuff in the areas that I can make a difference mm. or influence the world. I and noticed, you I noticed that with your company. When, when, I went, <laughs> when I went to your website for your agency, yep. Kinetic, I noticed mm. that there was a focus. It wasn't like, yeah. hey, we, we, can, you know, we can help everybody do everything. It was like, it was in this acronym that I had to look up because I was like, what the heck is F fast moving? So F M T fast moving products, C basically. Yeah. Consumer goods, FMCG. CG. I was like, does everybody know what this is? I'm Googling that. So anyways, I yeah. just noticed that you had a focus Yeah. and what you're for doing. Sure. So, and look, what, what that means is for people listening is I, I won't sell Toyotas or a mobile phone plan or help a politician get elected to parliament. Um, they use similar parts of the same skill set that I have and that the team that I've built has. But we really focus on consumer goods and that's things that you find in a supermarket, a pharmacy. When you go out for a, uh, a drink, they're on the back of the bar. And that and that sort of stuff. So we, we really narrow and we aim to be the best in our field. And it's it's no different, and we'll come back to a sporting allegory. Um, it's no different to being the very, 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 very best at volleyball. 
Um, you need to have explosive muscle power to get across the sand really quickly. You need to have hand-eye coordination. You're an incredible athlete, but if you took an athlete that was the best at volleyball and you asked them to do a marathon, whilst they're still an athlete, they're no way going to be the best at the marathon. So um, it's just a different, uh, it's, a, it's a different space. One's human performance and one is what we, uh, marketing and creativity, but the same rules apply. Focus uh, begets um, effectiveness in pretty much all realms of life. So I want to write um, that down. I don't think anything Focus. is wrong. Sorry, I'm writing it. I hope everyone sure. <laughs> out there is writing this. Focus begets effectiveness. Sorry. Yeah. not going to lie. I'm writing it right now. There we go. So honestly, Mark, I, I feel that all the themes that you've introduced have are linked beautifully. And as someone might be um, having a dream or an idea that they want to make manifest, I think that you've given them a great place to start because you've let them know what they have to look like as a founder. With, you know, if I hope people pick that up, you just got a... Um, yeah, it's almost character building. It's like, who do I have to be or who do I have to become in order to align with, with this idea that I want to bring to market? So um, I really appreciate, and now I know exactly what Nat and I are going to banter about. It's going to be all about caring what people think and that, that curve because it'll be perfect because Nat and I lie on different areas of the curve. And I think yep. that we can have a really funny conversation about that. But um <laughs> But I really appreciate you. I, I'm, I'm not lying that I, I have all these other things. I wanted to talk about how you cultivate team dynamic, you know, within your, within the agency. And, uh, and there was um, more We can do that at another time. It's, um, I'm more than happy to, to jump back in at another time and, 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 and awesome. dig into those. They're all really rich veins to mine. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's set up another time. Do I have to write that down? Rich veins. No. <laughs> Nat says to me, he uses really good words and adjectives. And so I was like, oh, rich veins to mine. So I have to remember that. That was a winner right there. Way to end it beautifully. I thank you so much. You're as good as you a said. Pleasure. Thank you. God. Give him my love, by the way. I miss her dearly. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.